the VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 706, recorded on December 15th, 2023. edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 539th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Dunzer. I'm Scott Durr. And I am Jonah Falcon. The BGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Right, so in terms of playing, um, I've started up playing uh, uh, City Skylines 2 again. And um, one thing, one critical thing I learned is that don't worry about the budget too much. Just make sure you don't go too low, because every time you level up your city, you get a couple million dollars. So you'll always be losing money, but if you keep progressing your city, you're not going to run out of money. Yeah. Um, I Smileyville and, and City Skylines 2 is still working out for me. Uh, the smile is still a smile. I, I think I said it on a previous episode, but I designed my city in the shape of a giant smiley face. And if the uh, satisfactory of the citizens goes down, I'm going to slowly warp it into a frowny face. Um, but Smiley, but Smileyville is still smiling. It's very hard to piss the citizens off, uh, at least when I'm playing. As long as you have the functions, I mean, they will want. Uh, sometimes they whine they don't have enough medical care, even though there's coverage with medical clinics. But I think you need a hospital for them to really, you know, feel better about medicine and uh, the uh, medicine in the town um i've also been playing against the storm uh which is basically i talked about this last week it's a roguelike city builder for those who get bored after starting their cities and they just want to stop so um you basically have to um build your city you have to get these uh you know you basically have to get the engines down and at some point, uh, you gotta let the city get destroyed so you can start a new one down the line. And basically, what you're doing is you're funneling uh, favor from the queen, who has demands of you. So basically, you know, it's a bunch of little city builders that that are strung together. Very interesting and quite kind of fun. It's on Game Pass, but it's only twenty dollars. Shocked me. I thought it was more. So, yeah, I, re- I remember you mentioning it, and I haven't had a chance to play it, but it does sound interesting, yeah. if even just for the idea of a roguelike city builder. Like, you don't see that much. No. Yeah, you have uh, all these, spe- these species, like you have people, you have beaver men, you have lizard men, and all that stuff, and they have their own special wants and desires. And basically, the, the longer you go, the queen's displeasure keeps going up and up and up, and you have to complete missions in that town to increase your pleasure until you hit the bar and then you get more powers, but you destroy that town. You start over later on. And what happens is the deeper in the forest you go, the more dangerous it gets. And the entire point is that it's always raining. It's always at least drizzling. And when the storm comes, it's an evil storm that demoralizes everybody. And it's just very unique. Um, There is a demo on steam if you want to try it. Nice. I'm gonna have to give that a go over the holidays. And how about you, TJ? What have you been playing? 
I excuse me. I got back into Tears of the Kingdom and Octopath Traveler 2 because those are the games that I'm trying to I'm trying to get those games done before I start Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War. Okay. And uh good games. Yeah, I, I I'll tell you what, Scott. I'm coasting into the final end of Tears of the Kingdom. I did not expect a Rock'em Sock'em Robots battle. Yeah, that was unexpected, but I had fun with it, too. <laughs> that entire thing is so silly and whack, and I'm like, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, like, what a thing to introduce in the final stretch of the game. And it has to be introduced in the final stretch of the game, because if you had access to that at any part earlier in Tears of the Kingdom, I feel like it would trivialize a lot of the challenge in it. So what you're saying is they ripped off Psychonauts 2. How do you mean? Well, that game ended with a Rock'em Sock'em battle, too. Oh, yes, it did. Now that I think about it, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but like, it's, it's, it's probably more like, uh, Nintendo's arms than like Rock'em Sock'em Robot, but like it is out of left field and very strange. And then you get to keep the thing that you used, and it is very strong. You always feel like Nintendo games are like 10 years behind the curve. I mean, they keep on talking about Double GoldenEye, and it's like, yeah, but it was, it was not a very good first person shooter, and it's like, these Zelda games are open world games that I don't know. I've played open world games for twenty years, you know. It's like what's so special about it? Because it has Link in it. And we're gonna talk yeah. about we're gonna talk about Zelda too, about about an aspect of that which which brings that to mind for me. That building mechanic, I know it's like you can say it came from nuts and bolts, but it's so much more refined than what they had in nuts and bolts, like being able to assemble any like a vehicle out of your imagination at any given time or build a super weapon out of your equipment like that was, resources. A, that was definitely a huge part of Tears of the Kingdom's uh, appeal and special and what they did. And I think the depths as well, uh, just exploring that place. And you, of course, you have the Skylands. So it's more than just they have Link in it. They explored, like, like TJ just mentioned, just the engineering and making all these effects and the physics in the game, because you have fire that affects things and water and electricity. And there's, I mean, there's a whole subreddit on, on a high rule, high rule engineering. And they just show you all these things they engineer with the physics of the game. And they must've done so much work to make sure that this stuff works well. And it's just crazy. And you get a really good story in this game too, because usually it's very, minimal you know it's like go rescue the princes and you're done this one actually had a really good story so i i think they really stepped up with this game i want to see how you react to bruise uh tj bruise in in shadow of war oh okay because the thing about it is has personality yeah, I'm excited to jump into it. I like, but like, I wanted to finish these games because I love them so much. Octopath Traveler 2, I'm I'm a little further behind, but I have been having so much fun with them. They're probably high up there on my game of the year list this year. On a, I side, agree. On a side note, by the way, I've been um, doing a Let's Play of uh, Spirit Fair and posting videos on YouTube, 
but no commentary, just straight up. I just posted the second part. So if anybody's interested in seeing how Spiritfarer is, I, wait, did you get around to Spiritfarer? Uh, yeah, I eventually did. I like that game. It's got a great story, and it's a very emotional one at that. Yeah. Of course, it's no that dragon cancer, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is a there is a, a dragon can uh, a cancer dragon in the game. There are three of them, in fact, because that's what summer summer. If you re- if you know anything about the backstory, summer uh, was a friend of uh, Stella's who was dying of cancer, and for a long time she had it beaten. But you know she always considered uh, cancer that dragon, and you fight the dragons, which are cancer in the in the game. So. Anyways, what have you been playing, uh, Scott? I've been playing this game called Palea uh, with my wife and daughter, and it's a open world free to play game where you're, you know, transported to a world uh, through like a dimension portal or whatever. And it's a very relaxed game where you're just, you know, you're mining, doing farming, you're building your you're house. Fishing. <laughs> yep, and fishing. That's another one. And there's these nice uh, dungeon temples to go through and you solve little parkour puzzles. Uh, and it's a very wholesome uh, uh, fandom, I guess, or community there. They're, everybody's constantly helping each other, which is nice. They call themselves um, a cozy community sim. Yeah, definitely. Cozy community sim. I agree. Uh, and, yeah, you have friendships with the NPCs, but there's also the players. So it's it's kind of interesting. It's on Switch and PC. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, we're going to move on to quick news. Um, Tekken 8 is getting a demo this week. Uh, peep the first chapter of the story and play some offline uh, verses. They also released a new trailer today, too. Uh, TJ, you probably more know, know more about it than me. Didn't, wasn't it a launch trailer that Tekken 8 yes. got? Okay. Uh, well, it's it comes out on January 29th, so I wouldn't call this the launch trailer. It's more like the story. It was the story trailer, um, which focuses heavily on, uh, I don't know if you know who Jin Kazama and Kazoya Mishima are, but they're basically the two competing forces in the current Tekken storyline, uh, with Kazoya being the devil and uh, Jin Kazama being kind of the, the son of the devil, but ha- but also half-angel thing. It's uh, I'm really excited for this game, and I'm really excited that people get to try it on the demo that's coming up. It came out on PlayStation, and it's coming to PC and Xbox next week. But this is going to be one of the first few times that people have had a chance to just really dig into, uh, f- dig in freely to Tekken 8. If you weren't involved in the recent closed beta tests, this is a great opportunity to play. You can play the first episode of the of the uh, story mode. And you can play uh, local versus, um, and yeah, it's 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 cool to see this come because uh, I recently had a chance to preview the game in uh, in L.A. and uh, goodness gracious, it's shaping it to be such a good fighter. Like I understand the online is buttery smooth, very, and the characters, like even the returning characters. Um, they feel just vastly different because of the uh, this this new heat system they have in the game. For game where you go into an empowered state once you activate certain attacks, and um, it makes a like I I've been interested in playing Kuma the bear because he is a 
he is a pet bear of one of the villains of the game, and he know, and the bear knows karate. And uh, <laughs> this time, is there a polar bear in one of them? There's a panda bear and a grizzly bear. There was and, a polar uh, bear in one of them. I remember a polar bear. I hmm. I don't. It was they, all white. It wasn't a pan. It wasn't a panda. May have been a costume because Kuma and Panda. No, it wasn't, are the, it wasn't are the a costume. Two. I think it was in Tekken Six. I'm gonna look this up because I'm pretty sure it, it was a polar bear. Kuma and Panda are the two canonical bears. But um, either way, like yeah, this, there was a polar bear in Tekken Six. In Tekken. Oh, you know what? Uh, Kuma sometimes defaults to it, so I think it's a Kuma skin. Yeah, it's definitely a Kuma, a Kuma skin. Um, but he is uh, he is the pet of the uh, of the like horn haired guy and the and his training partner. And in Tekken Eight, that guy is dead, and uh, Kuma doesn't know any better, so he's looking for where Master is and looking to defend his business while oh, look, he's out there. There's Polar Kuma and Kuma. So are they two different characters, or are they just a skin? Same character. Um, either way, like the, uh, we finally had a chance to try a lot of the characters. Uh, I got a chance to try Kuma. I love him. He's amazing. And, uh, I'm really excited for this game. It's probably going to be like an early front runner for game of the year for me in 28, Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, D&D revised player's handbook will be the biggest player's handbook that D&D has ever had and and like all the revised core books, will be compatible with current edition. It'll come with 48 subclasses. With uh, it's 12 classes with four each. Um, it's coming out at an interesting time because D and D has been pilloried for the licensing issues. There's the you know people making modules are being charged and all that stuff. It's an interesting timing for it. I I always feel like I, I just. It, it gets exhausting with with new editions and and having to buy the next book that comes out in the next edition and I mean it's, it it gets really expensive I feel like and that's kind of frustrating a little. A lot of people uh, are saying they should uh, people should try Pathfinder because it's D and D except without the license. Yeah. That might be good. Yeah, there's other options. There's Pathfinder, and I think they some made, other stuff I, too. Didn't they make a pen and paper version of Pathfinder now? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They, they have a monster manual and a DM book and a uh, and a, a guide. I think they have 2.0 now. In fact, uh, so yeah, there's there's books for Pathfinder. And on a side note, uh, Pillars of Eternity, the complete edition, is now on Game Pass. So. If you want a really, really, really long RPG, <laughs> Pillars of Eternity will take up your time. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely played both of those games uh, yeah. on piece, on Steam. That was a fun, fun yeah. time. But that still seems like it's coming out late this year, uh, 2024. So, and they, there was rumors, or well, maybe not rumor, but tweet that Josh Sawyer said he wants to make Pillars 3, but he wants to have a bigger budget. I say give the man the budget. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. Josh, he made uh, Pentiment as his little personal game. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, I think, you know, he needed to make Pentiment so that he could just, you know, get away from D&D and just make a cute, uh, you know, visual novel set in uh, set in the Middle Ages. I hope that, because I remember him making comments that he didn't, he hasn't made a game that he wanted to make, and I hope that that game 
was that for him so he could have a little break from pillars and maybe feel more refreshed for making another entry into that series. And, you know, that's what's good about X, uh, Game Pass is that um, Microsoft said, OK, go ahead, do it. We need content for Game Pass. You know, and there will be an audience for it and people will try it and they'll either like it. They like it or love it. You know, some people may not like it, but at least they tried it. So we'll see. Um, next item. Creative Assembly apologizes for the missteps with Total War series offers Pharaoh refunds. Yeah, I haven't played Pharaoh, uh, but from what I understand, it was bad in terms of gameplay and bad in terms of theming. So it got both things wrong. It wasn't historically accurate, and it wasn't wasn't a very good gameplay. That's a real shame. Creative Assembly has had like a rough end of its year with like being forced to cat to cancel uh, hyenas, and then uh, this with uh, the recent Total War. They just like this might be the roughest end to a year I've ever seen for that studio. Yeah. I- they just need to take their time and make another, uh, you know, number three of their series of Rome. And finally, uh, the day before a publisher announces studio shutdown amid financial troubles. This has been a weird, weird development cycle. Really weird. Um, at the beginning of the year, it was the second most anticipated game on Steam. But what's really weird is that even though it was that, it only had something like 4,000 members on its Reddit, which is kind of low for a game that that is supposed to be that anticipated. And then they had the entire copyright issue back in January. We actually discussed this, and I had to look it up. Yeah, we discussed it in episode uh, 674. It was the same episode in which we talked about Hi-Fi Rush, which was uh, just come out. Yeah, the, it's it's the strangest thing because like everything about it looks like a con job. Like it looks like somebody sh- like flipping assets to make a quick buck and then running with the money. Someone ripping off Daisy or oh, is this a, is this a game that everyone got pissed off about and Steam is giving uh, refunds no questions asked well, i'm pretty sure yes. that's one of them it's no longer it was taken off the uh it was taken off the steam page but that was actually it was a long time ago it was taken off the steam page it's just strange that this game how did this game become so anticipated you can't no really idea. you can't really balance stuff you know uh wish list or can you can you make fake steam accounts and have, just have people wish listed I don't know. That sounds like a lot of effort just to do that. But then the trailer came out, the gameplay video, and it was like there was hardly any zombies on the uh, on the streets. <coughs> there, there's also like this: the studio that made this has made some games that aren't bad. Like they made Prop Night in 2021, they made Radiant One in 2018, and The Wild Eight in 2017. I know of Prop Night. I I was actually actually surprised to see Prop Night on their list of games that they created. And then this thing, which just like this, they took so, they took so many assets from like Unreal, which or Unreal Engine, which is not in itself like illegal. But they literally just threw them together and and called it a game for like the release. 
And of course, when people got in there, they saw that it was just pieced together, patched work, basic assets, and buggy as all hell with like. <laughs> what this te- what this game tells me is it's a game that was you know developers had an idea for something really sophisticated and big and, and complicated and all that stuff and they realized they didn't have the chops to do and uh, to do a game that's similar to you know uh, oh god what's the name of that game that's set in Washington D.C. Uh, you know the game I'm talking about these live action um, games live service games the division the division yeah it, they try to make their own zombie version of the division and they just didn't have the chops to do it. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's and like it's so terribly buggy. I watched somebody play it for like a little bit and there was just <laughs> there was just a giant model of a guy, of a of a generic NPC character like coming out of a subway looking extremely creepy and just like weirdly warping the more it moved. <laughs> it's and this is just something that you would just come across regular in the game. It's it 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 looked like such a con job, and it really does look like they're just running with the money that investors gave them because they got a publisher for it. Unfortunately, uh, it looks like um, who is it? Mytona is the one that published it, and it looks like they might be the ones stuck holding the bag in this case. On a side note, I went to PAX Unplugged and I chatted with Mike Pondsmith. For those who don't know who that is, he's the guy who, who founded El Talsorian. For those who don't know who that company is, uh, they made a lot of pen and paper RPGs, one of which happens to be Cyberpunk, which is the same Cyberpunk that we've been playing on computer game right now. So, um, I spoke to his wife and... Uh, I also spoke to his wife and I said, you know, when I was a teenager, I was a fan of El Tarosaurian only because I would be flipping through the mag- dungeon magazine and they would have this DIY ad there, you know, really just very simply made ad. It looks like someone just took a typewriter and just, <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. And I was a fan of them because of that. <laughs> uh, so anyway. pretty cool. Like, the, like, the guy that created the cyberpunk, the original cyberpunk tabletop. He also did all the subsequent ones too. Um, That's he also crap. did Mechton. He did some others. Um, and he was also, I, I, you know, he's also African American and he's one of the earliest African American pen and paper nerds. And he's still a nerd, which is great. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I'm happy yeah. to see that he, ca- that he still cares about this stuff. Yeah. Um, so you know they're they're still going strong. They had they had their table was full of cyberpunk stuff. They had other stuff there too, but you know right now cyberpunk is hot. So for sure. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say like to a certain extent that has to be good for him, right? Like it gives him an opportunity to make all sorts of new stuff within that universe. I think he, yeah. I mean there was a lot of there was a lot of. Um, a lot of supplementary material there. I didn't get to look at all of it because I was running around. But, you know, it's like uh, I met Richard Garriott one day and now I meet uh, Mike Pondsmith the next. For those who don't know who Richard Garriott is, that's Lord British of the Ultima series. Nice. That's oh, still going. I, I haven't no, heard about Ultima. that. He, he's years. still making something. I don't know what it is. He tried an <laughs> MMO 
but I think the MMO fell flat. Not um not the I'm not thinking of um uh, uh Tabula Rasa, which I enjoyed. No, I'll tell you about the MMO that came after that, which was sort of like taking aspects of Ultima and trying to do a, a you know a living yeah. sim. I don't think that's still going on. I don't know what he's doing now. But if there's a guy who's fallen, he's fallen far. Yeah, definitely. That's but I love, still love the fact that, you know, he, he prefers to be referred to as Lord British and not Richard Garriott. So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, speaking of which, we're going to move on to game news. Uh, E3, the video game expo, officially shuts down forever. This comes to us from Mashable. E3 is dead for good, apparently. After more than two decades of E3, each one bigger than the last, the game, the time has come to say goodbye. The official E3 account posted on Twitter. Uh, thanks for the memories. Uh, the ASA, the nonprofit video game trade organization, which E3 posted its own, uh, which ran E3, posted its own statement on X as Twitter as well. Uh, ESA shared a link from the Washington Post story, which broke the news, and quoted the organization's president and CEO Stanley Pierre Louis. Uh, ESA re- remains focused on advocating for ESA member companies and the industry workforce who fuel positive cultural and economic impact every day, uh, the statement stated. Uh, E3 uh, was once the largest video game expo of its kind, starting with its first event in 1995. Uh, the reason why it started its own event was that video games are getting lost in CES, and I might remind you that CES is still going strong. It's in January. It's in Las Vegas. Um, the event is known as a major gathering of the industry and is often where the year's biggest news was unveiled for new games and made their debut. The Expo ran annually until 2019. The, the year held its final in-person event. E3 2020 would be canceled in June because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then all the major studios found out that they didn't need E3. They just posted videos, which actually I knew was going on in 2015 and on. And I will say this. It is bullshit. It is 100% bullshit because, as TJ knows, there's another big games con, and I'm not talking about Jap- uh, Japanese games com- uh, con. I'm talking about Gamescom in in German, in Leipzig, and it has no problems at all running a, a game studio because they know how to run a, a game convention. They do, you know, and the major studios are there. So I don't know. I think PAX ate its lunch for the most part. I feel like PAX but, ate its lunch. But Repop was brought in to help with this E3, right? Well, I guess they, uh, they separated always... late, earlier this year. No, Repop is still involved, but what happens is Microsoft, Sony, and everybody else, the large companies didn't want to uh, go to E3 because it was a waste of, of, of money. And they were already yeah. off the site. I mean, they were having their own little cons all over the place outside of E3. Yeah. It's it was the it was like the most it was the most telegraphed possibility of anything that could possibly happen this year. E3 I thought like it feels like E3 has said that it's dead or has been reported dead at least Four times that I'm aware of. And, uh, <laughs> well, let's not forget E for All. And man, which was an like abomination. The, the last, the last remaining, I, I enjoyed meeting you, Jonah, out there and have, having some beers and going through the Devolver place. Yeah, we did, enjoyed, we did, we did that one podcast there. <laughs> it, 
and we uh and we and I had plenty of good times with colleagues out there like and those memories will stay with me. But one of the things I will never I, I listen I, I will uh, the most priceless thing was when I introduced you to the uh, lead developer for uh Rainbow Six uh Siege and it's like you just got gobsmacked. Yeah, it was <laughs> incredible. That game was so cool at the time and I was so into it and it was a great connection. Um but like I don't know. The, the one of the remaining things that will always stay with me with E3, the E3s that I went to, which were 2017 and 2019, is veterans would always tell me that it was not as good as it used to be. And then one of them, one of them talking to you right now on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and then in 20 and then in 2019, that was the infamous year that the ESA had a security breach that basically doxed every organization and reporter that went out there and left their information online for trolls to get to. And, like, that's the crux of the matter, is, like, ESA lost a lot of trust. They lost a lot of faith in their their product, and they, and then COVID happened, and they never had a chance to get that back. And one would, one could argue that they didn't deserve that chance in the first place. You know what's going to be interesting is that um, 2014, 2024. I don't, you know, Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo will all do their July, uh, their June thing, you know, this mid-year thing of doing their presentations. And you know what? I'm willing to bet you that without the anchor of E3, people are going to care less about it, and they're not going to really pay attention to it that much. I Even think with the big uh, games, because like uh, a lot of these. Uh, publishers will just drop a trailer whenever they want to now because they just released a six-minute trailer for Iudian uh, like yesterday, and they didn't wait for an event or anything. They just uh, dropped it. Like, here you go. You know, no, it's, it's like you do have to have a presentation of the games that are coming this year, you know, or what to expect in the next year or so because they still do Tokyo Game Show, and they still do, they still do uh, Gamescom. They did uh, Nintendo Direct. They showed it on there as well, so that helps. But I'm just saying, um, I think the Xbox, uh, what do they call it? I know PlayStation calls it, I mean, I know it's called Nintendo Direct. Uh, and N- Microsoft and Nintendo have, the uh, Microsoft and Sony have their own names for their own shows. It, it really felt like uh, Jeff Knight or Jeff Keighley was turning um uh, the VGA awards to into the, his own E3. He's trying to. Yeah, it's not going to work. No, it, it didn't it's work. Not work. It, you have to have the physical space to make it feel like you're doing something. Okay, um, even if it's just reporters doing it, you know, you have to have the physical space, or else it's just like vapor. You know, no one's going to care. And really what ESA has to do is they have to go to Gamescom and find out what makes Gamescom work. Because no one's going to be turning down going to Gamescom. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, by the way, ESA is comprised of Microsoft, Sony, and all that stuff. So it's sort of like they're self-cannibalizing. They want to have their own presentation but the thing is that unless you really have them dock to other people, it's not going to really mean anything. You know, people like to say, who won E3? You know, who lost E3? Oh, giant crab. You know, attack it for massive damage. 
That's right. You don't have any of those moments now. No yeah. one's going to care. And you don't, you won't have that Wii music thing. That was just so fucking bizarre. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like, I, I think that, I think that E3 lost a lot of its luster and value, but I do think that North America needs something like that. I hope it's something better, but I think that North America needs something like that because young writers and young uh, industry hopefuls deserve a chance to get their foot in the door the same way we did. And E3 was arguably that thing for a lot of people. Well, the other thing for me is that um, I have a lot of industry friends, and that's the only place I ever see them. It's like a once a year thing, you know, like Michael Pactor. Oh, you know, I don't see Michael Pactor anywhere except for E3. Uh, I don't know what. See, Larry Herb retired, so I don't know what he's doing. But it would be once a year I would see Larry Herb, and then I'd go to his other stuff. You know, it's like all these people I know, and they know me, but without the um, without E3, it's sort of like, okay, when are we gonna when are we gonna hook up? Yeah, yeah, that's an absolute bummer. I I want a show to happen that rises to that level of prominence. And here's the other thing is that, you know, in order to have these shows, you know what you need? You need a big audience hall with with, with audience members reacting to these, uh, these trailers they're putting out. Because if all you do is just put out a trailer and there's no one scream, there's no people screaming and cheering and all that stuff, who cares? I mean – Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the things is I remember uh, when Halo 3 was unveiled at E3 and it was like people went fucking nuts. Or when Gears of War, the first Gears of War, when it was revealed and I was there, people just lost their minds because no one had ever seen graphics or action like that before in their lives. They just lost their minds. Yeah. And I mean, I got to see Keanu. I got to be in the same room <laughs> as Keanu Reeves for one year. And, uh, <laughs> It was like it, that won't happen again. You'll never have an audience member story. calling out to him and him responding. Yeah, because here's the thing that made Microsoft's uh, press briefing because you had that bit of unpredictability. Yeah, and and I give give Keanu Reeves credit. He just he got the he got the tennis ball and he just whacked it back. It's really sad to think that we won't that we won't have anything like that anymore. And I, I doubt that's frankly, going to happen. And quite frankly, I I think that you're right. I think that something has to step in and take its place. I don't think it's the Game Awards. No. God, I no. Uh, I also don't think that the pa- any of the PAXs have the star power of E3. See, PAX but, uh, is well, the thing for me in PAX is that PAX is sort of like a sit down demo sort of thing, which is why I went to PAX Unplugged. You know. Unfortunately, at PAX Unplugged, I ended up buying, uh, spending $170 for the Kickstarter All-In bundle of Distilled, you know, except it wasn't the Kickstarter bundle. It was the Kickstarter bundle, but it was, you know, he was, like, give, selling it. So I was like, oh, okay. I have, I have no I have no willpower. I should have said no, but no, I had to buy it. To be, to be honest, Distilled is really, really fun, but still $170. But, yeah, uh, someone has to do a – you know – I think part of it is that the um, convention center in L.A. is so expensive. And who knows? Maybe they'll find a cheaper venue. I mean, imagine having the next E3 in Mexico City. Yeah, I wouldn't mind something in the mid- in the Midwest, whether it's 
Heck, if it happened in Dallas, that would make things super easy for me. But uh, don't they have South by Southwest? Uh, Austin has had that for a while, and it's been off and on. Like it was, at, it was dead for a couple of years, and they, I think they brought it back. But it's also been kind of also it's more film than it is shot. video games anyway. But they did have video games there. They had Pack South, which also died in 2019 before COVID. Well, PAX East is, is still there, and I think PAX Prime is still going on strong. So, I would love to have something, though, that's like the next big thing. What, what they need is a way for these big companies to understand that they have to be in the same building together. Yeah. And they have to bring back booth, booth babes. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's true. You need booth babes. Because you need you need that you need that danger and you need that that titillation you know, I mean you can still be respectful but you know you need you need stuff like that you need to get the people cosplaying you need to get the you know I did a viral video of one of the booth babes actually doing Dance Central, and she thanked me because when I posted the videos like it got attention and it got her much more work. <laughs> PAX a possible replacement? No. Uh, PAX, like I said, is more of a demo thing. It's more of a it's more of a fan thing. It's see the main part of PAX for a lot of people are the panels. Panels rule uh PAX. I don't go to the panels as much anymore, but people love the panels. And it's yeah. not gonna be Comic Con. Um Comic Con is basically one huge uh vendor stall. So, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know what becomes that thing. It's I think it has I think it would have to be something new, like that the big boys were interested in supporting. Because like when you look at the I think one of the best and closest feelings to that experience for me right now is Evo. But Evo isn't for everyone. Like if you don't like well, fighting, Evo games, is very niche. So, well, but it's also it's still super popular. It's popular, but, but it's also niche. How many are you going to see Starfield there? Are you going to see Hi-Fi Rush no, there? Are you going to see The I'm Last saying. of Us here, there? No, that's what I'm saying though. Is that I feel like something that should be a new E3 should be kind of like Evo. I don't know if they're going to have tournaments We're, there. Not not like giant tournaments, but you still have tons of uh, companies showing off their latest stuff and all sorts of booths and presentations and panels and. Well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this straight, okay? Um, at some point, the marketing department of these big companies are gonna realize there's something off, and they're not generating enough buzz. And no, no matter how many of the uh, of the Nintendo directs you make, people are not gonna get that buzz. They're not. You need an audience. Yes. I mean, even if you have an audience watching an audience watching a presentation, you still need the audience. Yeah. You need to have that. You need to have bad things happen, or else no one will talk. See the Nintendo Direct. Do you think anything is is going to go off script? Of course not. Of course not. You're not going to have something like Wii Music, which was the goofiest friggin' thing that you'd ever see, and you'll never have Cammy. Oh God, Cammy. She's just. She's like a Stepford wife. Stepford wife with video games. <laughs> Do you remember her? Yeah. Her and, and Reggie is just, you know, you won't have anything off going on. You won't have embarrassing moments like when they announced that the Xbox One would be $500 or, um, or you know, giant crabs and 
kill giant enemy crabs and, and hit it in the sweet spot to do massive damage. You won't have that in these things. You will have boring shit because I remember last two years, people were complaining at the PlayStation events, you know, that were only online were boring as hell. Because Sony made it too safe, made it too corporate. You remember, I dare you remember anything that happened. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I don't know if it was last year, the last year's or the year before us. They went to these different rooms. You remember they went from this room to talk about this game. Then they went to this room to talk about that game. They even went to, that's boring as hell. You know what that I is? I remember that. That's, also my, coll- my colleagues hated that shit. It's like going through a, a haunted house where there's no scares. It's just not, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, especially when, like, you have so many people and it's so crowded and it's not very well ventilated. And it's also shitty to watch. I'm talking about people watching online. It was dull as dishwater. Yeah. You need the big show so that you can have moments, unscripted moments, you know? I don't know. Anyways, we're going to move on to the next item. Go ahead, TJ. All right. Report, Insomniac suffers ransomware attack from PlayStation Lifestyle. Reports surfaced this morning that Insomniac Games has been hit by a Reseda ransomware attack, which has resulted in hackers going uh, obtaining access of, to images of PS5-exclusive Marvel's Wolverine, as well as employee data. The reports remain unsubstantiated at the time of this writing, and neither Sony nor Insomniac has issued a statement. The report of the attack originally came from CyberDaily.au and has been circulating on Reddit. According to the website, Reseda, a ransomware operator, has backed up its claims by sharing a collage of images that include what appear to be Wolverine screenshots along with employees' personal data like passport information. Fun. <laughs> the hackers released some. Already, you have to go to the next paragraph. What's up? Go to the next paragraph. It's repeating the same shit. Okay. Reseda is reportedly auctioning Insomniac's data and has given the studio seven days to respond. According to CyberDaily.au, the bids, the starting bid is fifty bitcoins, or just over two million dollars. Or in a few years, it'll be two dollars. What a bunch of shit, bitches. <laughs> like, they always ask for something stupid. Like, why not just ask for the two million? You could, like, turn, you could convert it into Bitcoin, right? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they think Insomniac's going to mine it themselves. Who knows? <laughs> just dumb. Just freaking dumb. Can we say that in Sony's security is shit? Yes. <laughs> yes, because they had a, another breach recently that was about player data and stuff. And then a breach before that, and a breach before that, and go all the way back to 2014, and a breach with the PlayStation 3. It's Sony, invest in some cybersecurity. What are you doing? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. That's, uh, that's no good. And, I mean, that's that's not all Sony's fault. Like, I, I have to imagine, unless... Uh, you course. can't blame the victim, but seriously, Sony, you, you know, you leave your door unlocked. I, I, I feel bad for Insomniac because they've been making some pretty good stuff, and I'm really excited to see what they do with Wolverine because, I don't know, I feel like they're pretty fit to do that. Which reminds me, uh, this week they uh, finally revealed uh, Blade, which is being developed by uh, 
Arcane, the good Arcane. And I was laughing because all these Sony PlayStation fans were, were, were saying, it doesn't say Xbox on it. It doesn't say Game Pass. It's going to be multi-platform. And I'm thinking, sure, just just hold your breath waiting for that, please. I kind of am. And I'm not trying to cope or anything. Well, I actually am trying to cope just because I think uh, Dinga Bacaba is a fucking great director. He, of course, did Deathloop. Yeah. And uh, he also did. Uh, he also worked heavily on uh, the Dishonored DLC, yeah. uh, the, the Outsider. The Outsider. Yeah. yeah. And um, I have nothing but respect for him. I love his work, and it would make me very sad if I had to uh, work very hard to play it. You know, um, I, th- I think you also said that you hoped that uh, Michael Jai White was doing the voice for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wait. Did he no. do that? He- no, no. I say you said no. You said you hoped last week that Michael Jai White would do the voice for him. Yes, I still stand by that. For a second, I thought you were saying I was I was uh, right, and they confirmed that. I would be thrilled if uh, they announced that Michael Jai White was uh, was Blade because he's awesome at the character. Of course, you know I I hope sincerely that they have the character say, "Oh, some motherfucker's trying to skate upside." upside. Damn it! I keep forgetting that. Is the line coming to you? I'm getting a line. Oh yeah, so always some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> That's a good one. That game, that movie is full of great one-liners. Goofy as hell. <laughs> but that's always that's always good. Goofy as hell. Uh, I seriously doubt they'd have Michael uh, Wesley Snipes being able to voice him. I don't even know if his voice would sound good. Um, one of the things about the latest Indiana Jones film that created the most uncanny Valley was that, you know, it looked like younger, younger indie, you know, 40, uh, 40 year old indie, but the voice coming out of him was from an 80 year old man. And that just was weird. It's like, also, it's like, also like with March Simpson and Julie Kavanagh simply cannot do a gravelly voice anymore. Yeah, that's a shame. You know what? They should have had those. F- I'm, uh, okay. This is, this is a bugaboo that I've had for the past, few decades and i'm gonna say it again they should have had the simpsons age they should have bart would be homer's age now and he would have his own kid and you could have so many storylines bart getting going through puberty and going through high school lisa going through puberty getting through high school getting a job and all that stuff you know um, uh, maggie growing up it's like you could have had so much stories instead of having to recycle bullshit you know, yeah, uh, it like yeah, retconned. Yeah, uh, so the first uh, you had Homer in high school. You know, they had it was in 1970, and it, uh, there was the carpenters were singing, "Why do birds suddenly appear?" And then a few later, there they're in the 90s. They went to high school in the 90s. Now they're going to high school in the 2000s. I personally blame Rugrats all growed up for this. Because that show sucked, and I don't think that anyone wants to age no, their characters. No, we had nothing to do with that. No, it had nothing to do with Rugrats all grown up. And that by the way, it wasn't that bad good. either, to tell you the truth. So it they, wasn't they, that I, good I, though either. I blame Fox for this this kind of way because um, I think Matt Groening they don't had want... a really awesome idea for making uh, Homer and Krusty be the same character and they was and homer was actually doing crusty as yeah. a side job 
And I thought that that was an awesome thing that they should have done. But the studio execs were like, no, 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 it's too deep. And so they didn't do it. And But if you look at the character design, he, Krusty does look yeah. exactly like Homer. It, that would have been brilliant. That would have been wonderful. But studio execs think uh, the audience are, are morons. Well, they didn't deserve. want Bart to grow up. So Yeah, it, it, they, it, they should have, but it's whatever. Uh, they lost a couple of Bitcoins on that. Anyways, um, so you have Insomniac doing Wolverine, and you have Arcane doing Blade. So it looks like some really good action games are coming down the pike. Yeah, and despite this ransomware attack, I'm still excited for all that. I hope that uh, Sony, I hope Sony realizes the value of good and of good cybersecurity in 2024, and maybe makes some investments. No, because they're more they're more interested a, in doing root kits. Oh, uh, they're so ridiculous. This is this shouldn't happen this much to any major company that has that many accounts for both employees and gamers in its databases. Okay, I'm going to read this one because I want to hear Scott get angrier and angrier and angrier as I talk. Okay, here we go. Zelda producer doesn't get why some fans want to go back to limited and restricted games. And this comes to us from Games Radar. The producer of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has revealed he doesn't quite understand why fans would want to revisit the series' older, quote-unquote, more restricted games when the new ones give you so much more freedom. In an interview with IGN, Zelda producer Eiji Onuma talked about how Nintendo's series has evolved over the years, most notably since the release of The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Before both of the open-world games, the Zelda series followed a more linear path, which Onuma says can be restricted and limited compared to the games of today. I can already hear Scott's his brain going bullshit, 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 but we'll continue. Uh, when asked how Onuma felt when, he, when fans say they missed the old-style Zelda games, the developer responded, I do think we as people have a tendency to want a thing we don't currently have. There's a bit of a grass is greener mentality. It's interesting when I hear people say those things because I'm wondering, why do you want to go back to that type of game when you're more limited or restricted in the types of things or ways you can play? That being said, Anuma said he isn't completely surprised by fans wanting to go back. I do understand the desire we have for nostalgia, so I can understand it from that aspect. Okay, Scott, you can go off now. I'm not I'm not pissed. I, I think I know what he's getting at because I played the game and you get to explore this world. And I don't know if making uh, all these device, you know, vehicles would have worked in a in a uh, open zone type of game, which is what the previous Zeltas were like. And, you know, you could still make good dungeons. There's no excuse for that. You know, that's that's really what people were complaining about was having these in-depth dungeons. It's not so much that they, you know, it was closed off or limited. They just wanted these really well done dungeons that were iconic, that just resonated with them, that that had personality. Yeah, here's the thing that here's the thing. The two open worlds, Legend of Zelda open worlds, you know what they lack? Personality. They completely lack it. Missing. And that's what people want to have back you can have an open world game just give us those dungeons you know uh, maybe not, okay you know, let's shrines more dungeons i'm gonna tell uh easy one word okay one word tunic does he know that tunic is basically a zelda game that people really love 
There's a reason why people went nuts over it. <laughs> there are a lot of games that are like that, in fact. And, oh, by the way, linear games, people do play them. I mean, look at Sea of Stars. Look at yeah. a lot of the... Uh, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, a retro-style JRPG. Like, uh, Vowed had come out, I think, several months ago, saying that their game was not going to be open world, that it was going to be more open zone and have, like, a tighter more linear path to follow, which is fine. You know, I, I I think that there's something to be said for that. You know, you have a nice strong, this is where you go. And then you can choose how you do that. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't Here's the thing. Be, when you yeah. have a linear game, you know what you can do? You can tell a story. Yep. You can say a lot of things about the Mass Effect games, but I'm going to give you a little hint. They're linear. I mean, it's like every Bioware game, which there's four branches in which you can complete a story branch in any way. You know, they did it with KOTOR. They did it with Jade Empire. They did it with uh, Mass Effect. And they did it with uh, Dragon Age, you know, in which you have these four branches. And you can choose. But they always had a linear story. And you know what they could do? They can invest in personality and, and, and all that stuff. Baldur's Gate 3, it's basically a linear game. You, do, you you don't go anywhere you like. If you go anywhere you like, you'll get killed really fast. You have a story there, you know. Also, and, even Link's Invent, even the Link's Adventure remake was pretty linear, but like that game was fun. The uh, the little claymated version that they oh, did, yeah, on Switch, uh, so. Link's Awakening. That was yeah, really Link's game. Awakening. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I liked that game a lot. It was a very, it, it's a very, uh, it's a par- it's a very path driven game where you like go dungeon by dungeon one mm-hmm. two three four. But I like that game. It's very cute. It's very charming. It's very fun. I agree. That was and, a lot of fun. And then I, I'm I'm gonna point uh, our friend Eiji here to another game. Has he, has he ever heard of Far, Far Cry? Because Far Cry was interesting. At first, and then it just got more and more and more homogenized until now you have the Ubisoft model in which everything has to be an open world game. And no one feels like they want to be unrestricted. It's just like someone said, you know, if you can do anything, then you can do nothing. You know, there has to be a gameplay loop. There has to be a solid gameplay loop in which... You have to do something in order for things to happen. Because if you can do it with anything, then everything has to be cheapened and, and and brought down. I know there's exceptions to the rule. Don't at me with with the Dark Souls series and Dark Souls and Souls likes. I'm talking about this kind of open world game. They're they're gonna find themselves. I can just see Breath of the Wild four. I mean, uh, you know. And it's like they're wondering, why the hell is anybody not playing this game as much as the other ones? Because there's just so much you can do in an open world. You have to have a strong story sometimes. Yeah, I have no idea what they plan for the next Zelda entry, which I'm sure is a long ways off. It's going to be an open world. Don't you hear what he's saying? He doesn't know why people want a restricted game. I mean, there's a lot of time. That's what I'm saying. There's going to be a lot of time before the next Zelda comes out, so it's you could do research and get uh, feedback or uh, what's it called? Um, you know, the, when when you find out what the audience wants. I mean, they might be rethinking their formula. I know they want to do open world, but we'll have to see what they're going to do. I guess. 
I mean, people have been making Zelda-like games, you know, like Okami, mm-hmm. Darksiders, you know, Evil Quest. You know, it's just Overture, Tunic, uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. All these games try to mimic what what Zelda does. And I'm going to tell them, so people notice this and they say, well, if they're doing it, why don't you make a Zelda Zelda game? You know, it shouldn't take you just, just, you know, it's like with Mario, you know, Mario has different types of Mario games. Why does now every Zelda game have to be an open world game? Cause it's popular. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if I was going to, so from here, after tears of the kingdom, I think what I want to see next is I I wouldn't mind seeing them go back to the very, 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 very first Zelda and remake it in some form. Because I think that that one has the most potential to be something interesting and creative for them. Like, I mean, really fit with it because the, the original was so rudimentary. I mean, if you just made a remaster in which everything's in 4K and has a billion colors and. You know, and you, but you're still doing the top-down thing and the top-down dungeon exploration, and just make tweaks to the dungeon so people have a new puzzle to deal with. I mean, it'll sell like hotcakes. I'm sure it will. Yes. You know, but on the other hand, you know what? Hey, it, there's other people making turn-based RPGs, you know, and or uh, you know, top-down action RPGs. They don't need Zelda as much. It's just that. I don't like the mentality that, oh, why would – it reminds me of Jim Ryan saying, oh, why would anybody want to play old games? Backwards compatibility isn't uh, – who cares about that? Who wants to play the old games? There are people who want to play old games and old-style games. Kickstarter's proof of that. That's true. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the next item. Go ahead, Scott. All right. The Last of Us Online finally canceled. This is from PC Gamer. The Last of Us Online has been canceled after more than three years in development. Dotty Dog made the announcement today, arguing that the ambitious project will require the studio to pivot entirely to post-launch support read a live service f- future, rather than their strength, big-budget, single-player narrative adventures. The Last of Us Online was originally meant to launch on alongside PS4 exclusive The Last of Us Part Two in 2020, and that will retain the format of the original game's beloved uh, factions mode in 2022. Naughty Dog's Neil Druckmann said that the online mode continued no-show was because it had evolved beyond the team's ambition. The Last of Us was a PC PS3 game and mid-2010s, uh, it was standard practice to include online mode to bolster the shelf life of the single-player games. Physical games still dominated, and this was seen as a way to combat the second-hand market. Even in that context, Factions was unusually good. But in 2023, the landscape is entirely different. No one launches an online game without a big roadmap to keep players engaged and a big team to keep the content mill turning. Uh... The thing started looking a bit hairy in May. Naughty Dog announced another vague picture or vague delay, which was complemented by a Bloomberg report that which painted a bleak picture. Apparently, Sony had tasked Bungie with assessing the viability of Last of Us Online, and the prognosis was not good. Still, aside from the faction's diehards, it's unlikely that the core Naughty Dog's fan base will be too upset by this announcement, especially since it includes reference to not one but two development single-player games. You know... Uh, Grand Theft Auto Online 
set a dangerous precedent for a lot of games. I think there's a difference there because Grand Theft Auto, you have all that flexibility for various heists and different stories. Last of Us is really just, you know, I guess a zombie apocalypse and you have a story and then doing multiplayer is just, I guess, fighting zombies that are fungus zombies or something. Yeah, but you have human enemies and you could do heists against human enemies just with the zombies as obstacles. Grand Theft Auto is a sandbox and The Last of Us is not. Yeah, but you still have factions mode. Sure, but the a large portion of why people go to The Last of Us is because they care about the narrative. Mm-hmm. The I mean, the, you could you could feasibly do a sandbox, but Naughty Dog is Naughty Dog equipped to handle that? That's a question I'm I don't think that I don't think that they are. <laughs> I don't think they even want to. To, to be honest, I think they'd rather go back to single-player narrative story. What's, yeah. really, what's really funny to me is that Sony tasked Bungie to assess the viability when Bungie is having all sorts of problems right now with Destiny 2. Yeah, and I think it's just safe to say that, like, I don't know, you we've seen it a lot this year. Live service, di- <coughs> live service games are dying on the vine left and right, and they're not even bad ideas. Rumbleverse didn't deserve to die, damn it. It was a wonderful freaking game. Oh, uh, in some news, uh, the crew has has been being shut down and the servers are being shut down. So if you own the crew, guess what? You're shit out of luck. You see, like live service games are just falling like left and right. It doesn't matter how much money is invested in them. It doesn't matter if the game is good. It doesn't matter if the content is coming. There just isn't enough Band, player attention bandwidth to spread amongst the, the asks that these live service games have for the player base. And so if you don't have an incredibly well-invested idea with a hugely invested community, it's not working out. It's uh, a real I, may shame I, in some cases. May I remind you, way back on May 27, 2022, Sony announced it's launching 12 live service games by 2025. How's that looking? <laughs> Man, did they I, did they actually think that that would be profitable? I, 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 I it really feels like these execs get their news very, very, very late and very slow. Because by the time they do these ideas, it's already dying. Everybody else sees it dying, but they're like, "Yeah, let's do these life service games. Let's do this NFT." And it's like, "No, the stuff is dying. Don't you see well, that? Isn't that I it's dying?" Here's the thing. Um, one of the biggest games out there is a live service. There are two of them I can think of that are live service games. World of Warcraft and Fortnite. Okay, those are gigantic. Here's the thing that executives don't seem to understand. These live service games are making a lot of money, but here's the thing. they Their audiences don't play any other live service games. They only play Fortnite. They only play World of Warcraft. It's like basketball, you know. And you have five superstars, but there's only one basketball. You're not going to get a. You, you have to focus on making one good live service game, um, or you can make a bunch of them, and you know just not have to. I'll give you a good example of a, a live service game that's really really popular, uh, Grounded, uh, and the, it gets it gets its audience from people who enjoy 
wanting to live the life of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know, it's charming. It has its own personality. But Microsoft isn't trying to – they're not trying to, like, do microtransactions up the wazoo with that game. You know, they, they have it, its purposes to supplement the Game Pass service. Um, another live service game that is kind of light – Oh boy, what was the name of that game? What's the name of that game? Oh my, it's escaping my my attention right now. But you know, if you want to have a live service game, just have two or three of them. You know, Microsoft has Fallout 76, they have Grounded, and they have Elder Scrolls Online. I don't think they're oh, and Sea of Thieves. I don't think they're trying to do more than that. But if you notice something about those four games, all four of those games are completely different. And they're not asking that they make a billion dollars or have a population of several million. They're just quiet little games that, you know, people can engage in. It's a real shame, like, the how the things have turned out for that industry. I, I, I agree with Scott. Like, the executives made a dumb push <laughs> that they made too late. And then, and like when things don't turn out well, when the player base starts to sink a little bit, and you have an executive board with like stockholders that are looking at this stuff, suddenly they panic and they say, "Well, we better cut ties and move on to the next thing." Then, yeah, that's the other thing is that it's hard to sell a live service game when you think, "Oh, wait, this game may not be available in two years, and I won't even have a single player mode to play it because they're going to turn off the services and no one can play it." Right. All those things just lost. No matter no matter how much they say we're going to keep the servers on for a while, they're eventually going to have to turn them off. Yeah, that reminds me of Microsoft keeping the original Xbox Live servers because a, uh, like a handful of people were still playing Halo Two on the original Xbox service, and it wasn't until there was only one person on the server that said, "Okay, we're shutting it off now." You can't have multiplayer with one person. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a dang shame. And you know what? Like, I guess we should have seen this coming for uh, for The Last of Us multiplayer because they have been so very quiet about it for years after just saying, you know, we're still working on it. It's a, we're, it's going to be its own stand uh, standalone project. But here, speaking, of, speaking of quiet, have you heard of any of the other live service games that Sony was trying to get get going by 2025? No, not at all. The only one I think I know of is just Marathon with Bungie. And, oh, yeah, that that's going to, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not going to be multi-platform, that's for sure. The way things are going, Sony's just going to take over Bungie and just make everything, make it a first-party developer, and then they'll have a... But that's the, thing about, uh, that's the other thing about live service games. Um, guys, uh, Microsoft didn't cut off the servers for Minecraft for a reason. They didn't. They they're perfectly willing to have Call of Duty everywhere for a reason, and the reason is you need a big fan uh, a player base. And if you're just gonna have Last of Us online on PC and PlayStation, it's not gonna help. It's not gonna get. It's not gonna get the audience you want. Microsoft is using their live service games to sell Game Pass. You're trying to make money from a live service game directly, and it's not gonna work that way. Yeah, I agree. It's. PlayStation doesn't have something like uh, Xbox Game Pass or, or Game Pass in general that they it can have. They have game, PlayStation Plus, quote unquote. Yeah, but that's not even nearly as good as uh, yeah. Game Pass on any level. 
On, oh, by the way, that's another news item. Um, there, there's noise that Microsoft may make free Game Pass that's ad supported, which you set, which you watch a certain amount of ads and you get blocks to play uh, Game Pass on. It's obviously not going to be for an Xbox gamer, but it's going to be for you know semi gamer, casual gamers, or semi gamers. You know, and keep in mind, like I said, Game Pass devices. I mean, my Sony Smart TV can be a Game Pass device if I want it to be. That doesn't need an Xbox at all. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of good that Game Pass is around because like I don't see much support for the Xbox outside of that program. It's I feel like that's the program that's making the Game Pass even more worthwhile, or making the console like legitimizing the console's existence. Because I feel like at some point Xbox should probably just. Bet all, bet everything on the Game Pass, and just maybe go. I mean, they're building. They're not gonna. They're not gonna drop a. They're not gonna drop a console. They're not gonna drop so? the Xbox console anytime soon. No. Um. Because it doesn't seem like it has much support at all. It does have plenty of support. I don't know where you're getting that from. As a matter of fact, the Xbox shares has been increasing. It was uh, Sony 42, Nintendo 27, Microsoft 23 or five. And that has gone up. And at some point, I see this going into 33, 33, 33 at some point. I will say this. I'll be very surprised if Hi-Fi Rush doesn't appear on the Switch. Mm. That game is made for the Switch. It's going to appear on the Switch at some point. I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Can't you, can't, it, it, you can see Hi-Fi Rush on a Switch machine, can you? It should be on a Switch. It's a great game. And it's, it doesn't look like it would be like ridiculously difficult. It doesn't look like it's it's graphically demanding in a way that some of the other. Uh, there's a reason why they are. call there's a reason why they call Hi-Fi Rush the best dream, Dreamcast game that never came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Anyways, uh, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with the industry news and our gaming history articles. We enjoy feedback. Subscribe comments at our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, to up at Facebook.com/slash/GamingPodcast. Subscribe to the iTunes, leave us the iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Charter Moore. And we will see. Here's the thing. Um, we've had to we've shoved this over to Fridays because it's kind of odd to do a podcast on Mondays a few days after you do a podcast. So um, we will see you next week. I don't know when the next podcast is going to be released. Probably on Wednesday. Yeah. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, yo. And that's that.